0: Have you ever been not ready for something? I quite quite often am not ready for things. My most recent experience of not being ready, uh, that was a bad one, was last year when I was catching a plane flight down to Sydney and I had a whole heap of stuff to do before I left. I had to get stuff done on my computer. I had to organise some stuff here uh, to be done in Dubbo while I was away. And I really should have done it on the day before, but I had stuff to organise from the day before on that day, and I was about a day behind on everything. And so the morning of my plane flight, I got up early and I'm running around finishing everything off, but nothing was where it should be. I couldn't find my plane ticket, I couldn't find my wallet, I couldn't find my bag and the things that were meant to go in it. I simply wasn't ready. And so after a frantic morning, I arrived at the airport just as the boarding doors were closing this is Dubbo Airport, um, you know, I thought they'd be a little bit generous, but they didn't let me in. It was too late, and I missed my flight. Disastrous, isn't it? But not being ready can have much worse consequences than that. Uh, when I was at uni, as part of our ethics course, we looked at the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. Now, you might remember it back in 1986, you might remember seeing about it on TV. Just... A little bit over a minute after takeoff, the space shuttle literally blew apart, and then it just disappeared in a plume of smoke. And the seven astronauts that were on board all all died. The reason that it blew up, um, it wasn't an accident. It was actually that the space shuttle wasn't ready. Hence, that's why we were looking at it in ethics. Why would they launch a space shuttle that they knew wasn't ready? NASA engineers had told their supervisors that it wasn't ready. There was a problem with the design of the O-ring, you might remember, and they were saying that it needed more testing in cold conditions. And that morning was a very cold day. But there was pressure to go ahead with the launch, and they did, even though it wasn't ready. And the result was a disaster. Now, if something is important enough, if something has big enough consequences, then you want to be ready for it. And that's what today's passage at the start of Mark's gospel is all about, really. It's about being ready to meet with Jesus, being ready to meet with God. Because as we read on, and especially in the second half of Mark's gospel, nothing has worse consequences than not being ready to meet with God. To stand on before God on judgment day and not be ready? Well, you really don't want to go there. And that's what today's passage is all about. It begins with a warning of being ready. Open with me in your Bibles, if you're not already, to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. We just heard it read. Mark's gospel says, The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Mark begins his biography of Jesus with um, what is actually three quotes from the Old Testament. One is from Isaiah, Mark tells us that at the start, which was 700 years before Jesus. One is from Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi was the last prophet. He spoke about 400 years before Jesus. And one is way, way back from the Exodus, about 1,500 years before Jesus. But even though they're hundreds of years apart, these prophecies in the Old Testament, they're all talking about the same thing. They are all warnings from God about being ready, being ready for Jesus. The last two are about God wanting his people, Israel, the nation of Israel, to be ready when he comes to visit them. See, in the time of Isaiah, which was the first of the prophets that Mark quotes, and then in the time of Malachi, 300 years later, the nation of Israel are not ready. They're doing the wrong thing. They are a mess. They're stealing, they're cheating, they're not not looking after widows and orphans. But rather than come and catch them out, God warns them that he's coming because he wants them to change their ways before he gets there. And so Isaiah and Malachi both promise that God will send a messenger to warn people before he comes. God is not like a policeman hiding around the corner with a speed camera where you can't see him trying to catch as many people out as he can. You might think that's what God's like, just looking to catch people in the wrong. But he's not. In fact, God's more like one of those big trucks driving down the highway with the wide load on it, and then there's a little ute driving in front that's with a flashing light that says, look out, wide load ahead. Because they don't want to catch you out, do they, and, and flatten you with the truck. They want you to be ready and pull over. God says that when He comes, He wants people to be ready. He wants people to have plenty of time to fix things up before they meet with Him, and so He warns them. That's what he promised that he'd do in Malachi and Isaiah and that's exactly what he's doing here at the start of Mark's gospel. He is warning people to be ready for Jesus. Verse 4, and so, because God wants to warn people, John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by John in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John here is the messenger. He is the wide load ahead sign. He's out in the desert just like Isaiah and Malachi predicted. What's his message? It is, get ready. God is coming. Verse 4, John came baptizing him in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now we'll look at those two things, baptism, simply means washing. We kind of think of baptism only what happens to people in church where they kind of get water sprinkled on them or dunked. But in New Testament times, baptism was a a, not a religious word, but a general word. It means cleaning something up. You put dirty dishes in the sink, you baptise them, you wash them, they come out clean. That's what baptism is. washing. In fact, over in Mark 7, it talks about baptising cups and plates, washing them up. And John is saying that God's people need washing up if they want to meet with God. They need, they're dirty. They need to be cleaned up. They're not living like they should. And that's what baptism is a sign of, being washed of the wrong things that you've done wrong. And the next word um, is about that too, repentance. John is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins to repent simply means to change what you're doing to change your mind to change your actions and john is saying that these people if they want to meet with god they need to repent they need to change their direction they need to turn back to god be washed and have their sins forgiven some of you know i went to america a few years ago, and um, when we are over there, we hired a car. And it takes a little bit of getting used to, because they drive on the wrong side of the road, don't they? It's not that hard because the steering wheel's on the other side of the car, so um, straight away, you're reminded that there's something different. And um, so I was doing okay at it, except one time I did a kind of U-turn in a driveway, and when you're kind of spinning around a bit like that, you lose your sense of direction. It's easy to kind of pop out at the wrong spot. There was this other time where we were turning onto a six-lane highway. So there's three lanes of traffic going one way and there's three lanes of traffic going the other way. And I made the turn quite nicely, I thought. Um, I knew which three lanes to go up because I just picked the ones where there was no cars coming. But as I turn in there, Mike, who's with me in what must be that side, yells and I look up and I kid you not, there is three lanes of traffic coming the other way and I'm in the wrong way of the three-lane highway and there's, their roads, you can't do a UE. There's, there's this big concrete thing up the middle and concrete there and there's three lanes of cars coming the other way. So what did I do? Well, there wasn't a lot of choice, was there? I just did a U-turn and we're off the other way trying to work out um, what I did wrong. I decided that it was a really bad idea to keep going the wrong way and so I turned around and went the right way. Now, John the Baptist, that's simply what he's doing here. He's telling people to repent, to turn their lives around. It is a really bad idea to ignore God. It is a really bad idea to be on the wrong side of God. And so if God is coming, you'd better turn your life around. You'd better say sorry to God and ask for his forgiveness. Because remember, God is not wanting to catch people out. He's not wanting to catch people in the middle of what they're doing wrong and punish them. God wants to warn people so that they can be ready. God wants to forgive people so that when he comes, they'll be ready to meet with him. And in fact, there's a lot of things in this passage that point to that. In verse 6, where it talked about what John was wearing, you know, he wore clothing made of camel's hair, a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. It sounds a bit like he's some hippie from Nimbin or something, like he's just got an alternate lifestyle. That's not what it's about at all. John is dressed like a, fav- a famous Old Testament guy called Elijah. In the Old Testament, if you came across someone with a leather belt and um, dressed in camel's hair, that's Elijah. And the role of Elijah in the Old Testament was to turn people back to God. That's exactly what John is doing. That idea is reinforced in verse 7, where it's, where John says, after me will come someone more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, John is not the main act. John is preparing people for someone greater who is coming. John's baptism is only a sign. It just gets people wet. It's getting people ready. But when the real deal comes, Jesus, God himself, he will fill people with the Holy Spirit. But in the meantime, John wants people to get ready. God wants people to get ready. Because who's coming? Well, as we read on in John's and Mark's gospel, we see that God is coming. God himself in the person of Jesus. Verse 9, if you've got your Bibles there. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was baptised by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Mark told us right back at the start in his opening line who Jesus is. He said, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the son of God. But Mark doesn't expect you just to believe that without thinking about it. Uh, You're not just told, um, This fellow called Jesus, he happens to be the son of God. If a claim is that big, you're not just going to believe it if someone like Mark tells it to you. Mark wants to convince us of who Jesus is. And that's what he spends the first half of his gospel doing, the first eight chapters. He wants to show us who Jesus is. And he's already here given us a clue with John saying someone important is coming. But now we get more clues in this baptism. As Jesus is baptised, it says the skies are torn open. Now, back in Isaiah 64, and Mark's already cleared us up, hasn't he, to, to look back to Isaiah. In Isaiah 64, Isaiah prays to God, oh, that you would tear the heavens open and come down. And here in verse 10, God is, if you like, tearing the heavens open as if to say, this is me here, Jesus, come down to earth. And again, back in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said that we would know god's special person coming because god would put his spirit on him and here in verse 10 the spirit of god comes down on jesus like a dove and if that's not enough those two clues once more for the dummies there's a voice from heaven that says to jesus you are my son who i love with you i'm well pleased see what's happening for 700 years since the prophet isaiah israel have been waiting for the Son of God to come. For 400 years since, Malachi, the nation of Israel, have been waiting for God to come. And Isaiah and Malachi both said, you need to be ready when God comes. And then John the Baptist appears and says, he's coming, get ready, turn your life around. And then Jesus appears, God in the flesh. And we're going to see next week, and the week after, and the week after, some things about Jesus that show us that he is God. Although what comes next in this chapter 1 is a little bit surprising, I think. Have a look at verse 12. It's not what you might expect if God comes into the world. Verse 12. Straight away the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attempted him, attempt, attended him. You, you might all, almost expect if, um, God comes to work, to the world, he's just gonna kind of be like Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and blow the devil away. But what happens? Jesus goes out with the wild animals. In the Old Testament, wild animals are a sign of God-forsakenness, of just the, the kind of, um, evil, abandoned desert. Jesus goes to this evil, God-forsaken place and he lets himself be tempted by the devil. Jesus doesn't come into the world to strut around like a proud king demanding that people follow him. He comes into the world to do battle with the devil but that battle involved Jesus becoming human, becoming like one of us, allowing himself to be tempted by evil just like we are and ultimately as we read on in mark's gospel it will mean that jesus allows himself to die instead of us over in mark 10:45, don't look it up but i'll read it to you jesus himself says even the son of man that's that's jesus did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many that's exactly what happens as you go on in Mark's gospel. Jesus dies as a ransom, as a payment for the things that we've done wrong. Jesus comes so that we can be forgiven. Because remember, God, when he comes, does not want us to be not ready. And so what he does, he actually sends his son so that we can be ready to meet with God. And right back here in Mark 1, the question for us, though, is, Are you ready? Because if one thing is clear, it's that in our natural state, we're not ready to meet with God. There needs to be a change, not just an outward change in our behaviour. Getting ready to meet with God is not just about going to church and acting like other people who go to church. Getting ready to meet with God is not about being some good religious person because, well, you know, Jesus must like religious people. In fact, as you read on in Mark's Gospel, we say that nothing gets up Jesus' knows more than people who think they're good people. Jesus hates it when people think that they're good. Getting ready to meet with God is realising that it's a bad idea to ignore him and saying sorry to him and asking for his forgiveness. Getting ready to meet with God is about realising that we are in the wrong. Have you done that? Have you realized that every fiber in your being by default runs away from God? And then have you consciously decided to turn your life back to him? Have you realized that your life of ignoring God means that you deserve his judgment and that you need his forgiveness? It doesn't matter what your parents do. Doesn't matter what your husband or wife does. Doesn't matter if you go to church or not. Doesn't matter whether you're the most religious person in Dubbo or whether you're the biggest rat bag in Dubbo. You personally need to be ready to meet with God. One day you will have an appointment with God. Are you ready? Do you right now know that if you were to die and stand before God right now, you'd be ready? you'd be forgiven. You'd be found trusting in Jesus. We get ready for all kinds of things every day. day, don't We We get ready for work, clean our teeth, have our brekkie, pack our lunch. We get ready for school. We get ready when we have people around for dinner, we tidy up and make the place look better than it normally does. We get ready for exams if we have them. We get ready to do our driving test 120 hours in the logbook on the L plates. When we get married we get ready for the wedding. When we have children, we get the room ready. But none of those things is as important as being ready to meet with God. How much time and consideration have you put into that? There's only one person who can get you ready. It's Jesus. He did battle with the devil and he won. By his death, he washed his people clean. And so John the Baptist's words to Israel at the start of Mark's gospel are actually words to you right now this morning. Repent. Turn your life around. Stop ignoring God. Turn your life over to Jesus and ask him to forgive you. And if you do that, you will be ready to meet with God. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that we have all done things wrong. Whether we're not yet Christians, whether we're new Christians, whether we've been followers of Jesus for a long time, we all do things wrong. So Father, thank you that it doesn't depend on us just to pull our socks up uh, so that we can be good religious people Thank you, rather, that you have sent Jesus to die for us, to wash us clean. And thank you that when we repent, when we turn back to Jesus and we ask his forgiveness, that Jesus makes us totally ready to meet with you. And, Father, thank you that you're not a God who is trying to catch people out, that you're not trying to zap people when they're not ready, that you're not hiding, looking to punish people. But thank you that you warn us and you warn us and you warn us again. Thank you that you've done everything that um, possibly needs to to be done for us to be saved. Thank you that all there is left for us to do is to turn to Jesus and ask to be forgiven. And we pray that all of us might be ready for that day when he returns. We pray that we'd be trusting in him and not ourselves. Amen.